Welcome to Call Your Girlfriend, a podcast for long distance besties everywhere. I'm Amina Tussaud. And I'm Ann Friedman. On this week's agenda, women and office housework and cupcakes, public radio voice, vocal fry, and other bullshit that has to do with listening to the voices of women and people of color, the grossest period joke of all time, red carpet revolt, and Kanye and Taylor, who are finally friends. Anne, how's it going? Oh, I'm so down to business this week in the best way. I'm, it sort of, it sort of feels like February is the real beginning of my year and I am doing all this shit, like getting a new accountant and incorporating myself finally. Uh, I know. Lady Swagger Inc. Oh, <laughs> really doing it. Predictable yet swaggerlicious. Great. Well, I consulted... One of our lawyer friends who shall remain remain nameless because it's probably illegal for her to consult with me on a legal basis when I haven't signed a paper saying she's officially my lawyer. But I was like, <laughs> are, are there any downsides to me incorporating as Lady Swagger Inc. as opposed to Anne Friedman Enterprises or something like that? Enterprises. And, who are you? I mean, the worst. And And she said... Basically, if you could imagine yourself entering into a tax dispute with the federal government and being called to like a witness stand as Lady Swagger Inc., a representative of or the CEO of Lady Swagger Inc., uh, then I should go for it. And I was like, I would prefer to be in a tax dispute as Lady Swagger Inc. (laughs) So my little flour tortilla Inc. is probably not what I should be looking at incorporating myself. I mean, I thought about it. I thought about Lil Bungalow, but it seemed too sweet. I don't know. I don't want to go to an, into a tax dispute as Lil Bungalow, Inc. <laughs> I am hoping to not go into a tax dispute. I like, there's a letter from the IRS on my coffee table right now, and I'm terrified to open it. I'm pretty sure I know what it's about, but I'm like, I don't want to deal with this right now. If you need to send it to Los Angeles, I'll open open it for you. Uh, I mean, we might it. have to. I Yeah, it's like Barack Obama has been trying to, like, play me for, like, three years over this one nitpicky tax issue. And I'm like, I am now falling for this. Ugh. I mean, the list of, <laughs> the list of Obama offenses. I know. He's always going after me. It's so terrible. I mean, I was about to make a not funny at all joke about Obama's absolutely horrible treatment of immigrants, and it's just not the right venue. Please do, Anne. His, like, horrible treatment of me has really affected me. I mean, I was going to say, I feel like it's just part and parcel of of an overall broad, terrible series of policies ranging from detention to, you know, fucking with your tax situation. I know. I can't wait till we have him on the podcast to discuss. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I mean, Vox, BuzzFeed, like, obviously, we should be next on the list. Yo, did you watch those, like, Vox interviews or that Vox interview? I haven't seen the BuzzFeed one yet, but the Vox one was, I like, like there were some cool I, graphics. I was distracted by the graphics, but they were pretty good. I love Ezra's super serious face. <laughs> well, <laughs> My favorite. Man, 
I don't know. I think Ezra has good super serious face. I did not know about Matt Iglesias' super serious face. Disclosure, oh, yeah. we're friends with all these people, so it's like <laughs> like it's it's weird. But yeah. Also, I just you know, like it's really hard to interview the president and have him like not play you for a fool. That's what I thought the whole time. I mean, he has a team of people who are experienced at helping him not get played for a fool and helping you get played for a fool. I know. I just really miss George Bush right now. I feel like he would give you like real answers, you know, like man on the street type answers. And then maybe paint your portrait. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. He's a very good artiste, Anne. Hey, I'm not lying. If I were like in the position to be a collector, I would be snapping up the bathroom portrait. So I know that Putin portrait. So Mm -hmm. that's like hits my Venn diagram on so many levels. (laughs) That was a digression. Tell me about what's happening with you. Um, I don't know, man. I'm like in like swamped with work right now. So I feel like I've, I've really been into like, it's the work game. I'm like you. Q1 is really hard to just like get into gear. I feel like I don't start shining until March usually mm. because all of January is just basically like getting my bearings back. And I'm like, oh, I guess it's a new year. And then right. February is like, oh, maybe I should like start doing taxes. I don't know. Yeah. Q1 is like really hard for me. I feel like I've just been I've just been working really hard lately, but I feel good about it. Uh, we both had the workiest answers to that question. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, God, Daya says the perfect thing about this. She's like, life isn't all uh, goat roast and ideas festivals. <laughs> you can't. <laughs> Sometimes you're going to put the work in. I mean, let's be real. January kind of was a lot of goat roasts and idea festivals. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I'm going, on a, I'm going on a trip to Palm Springs this weekend. I'm really looking forward to it. I have a couple of, like, really fun side trips planned from now until March, so... That's like my light at the end of the tunnel of every like super intense work week. Yes. Oh my God. Also, I'm already looking forward to spring because I peeped the Hollywood Bowl calendar and Grace Jones is playing with Future Islands. And I was like, what in what world does this happen? And I'm pre-excited. Oh my God. I feel like <laughs> <laughs> maybe you have to come down for that. I mean, sold. Also, somebody that we know that shall remain nameless is married to someone who is not going to pop culture and very recently he asked her he was like have you heard of this band <laughs> future islands and i'm still laughing about it i thought you were gonna say have you heard of this woman grace jones i don't know which is more egregious i mean i feel like he's gonna discover grace jones in like plus five years <laughs> <laughs> oh my god um well you know i guess since we're talking about like work so much and like ladies at work did you read this cheryl sandberg plus whoever her ghostwriter is all the time well i guess he's not a ghostwriter co-writer the women in in office housework piece i feel like she's done like a couple of these and they're pretty good but this one like hit a little too close to home for me (laughs) uh yes this one about women doing basically the shit work around the office taking notes bringing cupcakes I forget what else, but there are probably many other things like organizing the charity fun run or whatever. No, totally else right. The really emotional labor of like being a boss lady at work right. and doing housework. The thing about it that was like, you know, not surprising, but really depressing is that if you don't do the work, people think that you're an asshole. But if you do do the work, you still get no benefits from it. <laughs> right. Um, and, and then there's this idea, too, that um, I think it's not on a lot of male coworkers' radars that women consciously have to opt in or opt out of being this office caregiver type. 
I remember uh, when I worked on staff at a magazine, an illustrator who we published, who was a woman in her early 20s, sent us all like homemade granola bars or something to thank us after we ran her illustration. Ridiculous. And I was like, through a mouthful of granola bar, I was like, girl should not have done this. <laughs> <laughs> and one of my male coworkers was like, what do you mean? This seems like a really nice thing to do. And I was like, I don't know how many male illustrators that we've published have sent us granola bars and taken the time to do that. And I know it's like slightly different than being on staff and being a regular caregiver type, but I think it's, that's just to say that it extends to all kinds of work situations. No, it's true. So when I was graduating college, one of my um, friend's moms like gave us all this book called, God, um, Nice Girls Don't Get the Corner Office. <laughs> that, uh, that is a I think very it's like Nice book. Girls, not Good Girls. Yes, Nice Girls Don't yeah. Get the Corner Office. And it was all like, hi, you're 22. Here's some boss lady advice for you. You know, like before you go on to make copies at a think tank. Right. But yeah, the book was like really fascinating, right? It was like very 101. It's like very cheesy. But I, to this day, still recommend it because I think that it like really explains this tension. It was like just like a list of things that you should and shouldn't do, you know? And a lot of it was like really contradictory, right? It was like, do wear makeup. Don't wear too much makeup. <laughs> what are all of the, the things that you could do? But like one piece of advice that it gave, and this was like almost 10 years ago, and I still remember it like crystal clear, was that don't be the office candy dish. Never be the person that has, like, all of the candy at her desk. That is not a sexual euphemism. Um, Yeah, you know, but I remember that so vividly. And also, like, a thing that my mom told me when I was, like, going off into my first internship, uh, don't learn how to make coffee, and then that way you'll never be the coffee person. And it's true. Like, I don't drink coffee. I still don't know how to make it. Mm -hmm. And I remember my very first job out of college at a DC think tank that shall not be named, where the first thing that somebody asked me to do was to make them coffee. And I was like, I don't know what to tell you. I'm the only Black person here. The optics of this are really problematic. <laughs> but instead of saying that, I could very, like, rely on the fact that I did not know, in fact, how to make coffee. And I was off of the hook of coffee-making duties from there on out. That's crazy. Uh, shout out to Mama So. Like, yeah, no. Like, she be knowing. She knows. She, like, vaccinated us right. She, like, taught <laughs> us not to make coffee. Ugh, miss you, Mama So incredible i mean i always found i was always genuinely conflicted about this though that i am someone who genuinely likes to have snacks at work for example yes. or who did oh feel God, a very yes. nurturing impulse toward people who i worked with who were younger than i was especially and i also am always wary of advice to women to sort of you got to be super tough because men are super tough that's sort of old school idea of what it means to be or what it takes to be a woman in leadership and kind of like that directive to wear makeup but not too much makeup the line between don't be the office candy dish and be cold and mean to your co-workers <laughs> can sometimes be hard to find no i, I mean know. it's it's really hard to find right because here's the thing our most authentic selves like we are very giving and caring people yes Obviously. We are, but I don't want to be projecting that in the workplace. <laughs> so it's this really fine line between like being able to say no, but still seem like you're giving and like a caring person. And I think that a lot of women really have to navigate that, you know? Right. And, you know, the one thing that like this piece also gave me so much respect for was like working moms, 
you have like housework, you have childcare, and then you have like work work. That stuff like it is intense. It's really intense. And you're you're expected to be a caregiver like in every sphere of your life. It's also very exhausting. Right. And I think that, you know, like I was saying, it's tough when you are a caring person and you're like, oh, I want to care for these people who I work with these super long days. And I also want to care for my family and my friends and all the people in my non-work life. And much like the equation of housework where like the answer is getting dudes to scrub toilets. I feel like I feel like this is like male only office bake off territory. No, totally. like, I mean, this is yeah. why I love all of this Sheryl Sandberg advice, right? The last piece was about men who just like interrupt and dominate meetings. And this piece is like her, her solution mean? is the same. She's just like the solution is men have to step up and speak up. And I'm like, thank you, Cheryl. Uh, because I think that that's also the problem with a lot of this advice, right? It's always trying to tell you to navigate like all of these different, um, all these different like characteristics of your personality. And this is like actually really cut and clear. It's like, you should not expect the women to do the office housework at your company. It should be everybody's job to clean up and to bring cupcakes and cookies. I won't lie. Like I never volunteer for that kind of stuff because I just... I just never want to be that person. But every once in a while, I'm like, God damn it, I make a fucking great cookie. But, you know, just can't be that lady. Right. I mean, Ugh. when you make good cookies, the answer is half for me now, half for me later in the freezer. <laughs> <laughs> I think maybe that's the solution. I know, right? God, men, so many places where you can step up at work and just use your voice to help other women. Ugh. Yeah, lean in the office cupcakes, man. So another thing that we missed on our hiatus week was public radio voice, which is, I mean... How do I want to put this? (laughs) Maybe the best way to explain public radio voice is with a clip. Like, maybe Gina can find a clip. But it's the idea that when you say a phrase like public radio voice, you think of, like, an old, probably white, probably male guy who has... I would say there are two kinds now, either like an Edward R. Murrow, like old fashioned kind of aloof newscaster where everything you say sounds detached in a hilarious way. Like West Coast hip hop lost an important voice this week. Long Beach, California native Nate Dogg died Tuesday of complications from multiple strokes. He was 41 years old. Nate Dogg sang on chart-topping rap songs for Snoop Dogg, Dr. Dre, and 50 Cent. Or you have the Ira Glass kind of like twee version. From WBEZ Chicago and Public Radio International, it's This American Life. And I'm not Ira Glass. I'm Alex Bloomberg, a producer here. I know I sound a lot like Ira, but trust me, he is away this week. So there was a there was an article on BuzzFeed about what it's like to be a radio contributor who is not white, who does not have a cadence of speaking that would fit under the stereotypical rubric of public radio voice. And it sparked a very large Twitter conversation and I think an internal conversation at NPR and other radio outlets. And it seems appropriate to talk about it 
on a podcast where we use our voices. <laughs> yeah, no, you know, and I think that it also ties in really neatly with the second segment of that This American Life episode that we were talking about with the Lindy West troll story. Mm-hmm. The second part of that was Ira Glass like really calling out um, vocal fry and upspeak and people who are generally not amenable to having young women speaking on radio. And... Okay, you have to explain what is vocal fry because until I listened to this This American Life episode, I had honestly not heard the term before. And that's so crazy to me because I feel like vocal fry has just been this like really intense, hot new linguistic fad that, you know, like there was one study with like five people in it and somehow like all women were afflicted with it. So vocal fry is like, you know, like a vocal pattern. It is generally attributed to women, even though that's bullshit, of people who have this like low creaky, like vibrating voice. So, you know, like think Britney Spears without the auto-tune. That's vocal fry. So what is vocal fry exactly? That's what happens when anyone drops their voice to its lowest register. It tends to fry or crackle or pop. Vocal fry. You know, but I the thing that was really interesting about like the Ira Glass vocal fry conversation is him calling out the fact that he has vocal fry. Because the way that the media portrays it and everybody talks about it, it's literally a thing that only afflicts, like, young women. And it's a problem. And, uh, you know, like, it's some sort of speech disorder. So it was really cool to to just have him be like, no, like, 34 female student test subjects. Like, that's not a good sample size for this. But also, like, calling out men who do it. Right. Uh, And not even calling out, just pointing out. Yes, pointing out. Yeah. I don't know. It's a thing that I have been really self-conscious of (laughs) ever since we started doing this podcast. Listening to myself is really painful. And obviously, I also get a ton of mail about it. People complain about my voice. People complain about how I speak. And, you know, like, on one hand, it's really funny because it's like, I literally cannot control the way that words come out of my mouth. Like, sorry, I will change a lot of things about myself, but that's not something I'm, (laughs) I will willingly do. But I think that there is... There, there's a self-consciousness that comes with listening to your voice that's really terrifying. I mean, it is important to, for us to listen to this, to try to do better. I think that it's important, but it is honestly, I mean, I thought reading my own published words was painful and listening to this podcast, it's like the new one goes up and I steal myself to, I have to tell myself I'm listening for audio errors in the same way I read my articles to make sure factual inaccuracy didn't get in in order to get through it. And if I could listen to a version of this podcast that was just your voice and I could just hear myself in my head, I would sign up for 100%. Oh my god, that would be a miracle. I feel like I could also just send you my side of the audio, which would be hilarious. Maybe maybe that's how we should start doing it. And the other thing too that this, I really liked about this whole public radio conversation is how it it really focused on race. Mm -hmm. And like, for example, I did not know that Audie Cornish was black until I met her at the going away party of uh, one Shawnee Hilton. (laughs) Amina. And I was like, what? You have, the, you have the name of an NPR personality. Right. And uh, yeah, no, I had, I, had, I had no idea. Like, I literally had no idea. I'm not going around Googling NPR people. But then everything started making sense, right? I was like, oh, NPR is just basically killing all of the shows with uh, people of color on it. R.I.P. Tell Me More and Michelle Martin. <laughs> R.I.P. For Aisha Day's show. Like, no, totally. Yeah. 
It's also, yeah, NPR is also really interesting because I, I realize that in our world, it's a big deal, right? In the world of asshole media elites. But then when you really start thinking about civilians, like most people like actually don't know what NPR is. It's true, but I, I think this concept of how you moderate your voice, it's the name of a channel of content on NPR, Code Switch. Yeah. That is, it's not just, I mean, yes, it's useful to have this conversation in the context of radio or public radio or podcasts, but it's actually it has a lot to do with if you were in a professional setting, how do you feel you need to talk to be taken seriously? I feel like in English, my voice in general is a white voice. Like, I think that that's just the way that the ESL gods, like, made that happen. <laughs> but in French, I am very, 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 very conscious of when I do code switch. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I, you know, like, it's something that you notice a lot, even with uh, Black artists. Like, Kanye West notoriously has, like, a really serious white voice. Or as I like to call it, his LinkedIn voice. (laughs) And it's very startling, right? Like, he'll be on all these interviews, and it's not a big deal. And then I'll hear him on Ellen, and I'm like, is that Kanye? Kanye wants to connect with me? I'm like, I literally, like, can, I literally, like, cannot tell. I hear it. White people make us do crazy things. Right. And, you know, there's a little bit of, there's self-awareness about it, too, sometimes. I mean, there's a an interview that one Ira Glass gave about this sort of phenomenon of serious NPR voice. I don't think it was in the context of this more, like, race-oriented public radio voice hashtag and, and whole thing. But he said, you know, when we started doing This American Life, we deliberately didn't want to have that Edward R. Murrow tone of... Let me report the news in a stilted manner that makes <laughs> yeah. me, you know, that that sort of weird cadence. Just because you recognize that that's something you want to push back against in your quirky Saturday morning storytelling show doesn't mean that when someone's reporting from Iraq, for example, they're able to do so in the same way that they would pick up the phone and call and call home. And I think it's an interesting question, too, because you do want some sort of professional moderation. I don't want every reporter to talk just like they talk to their mom. They have to convey a certain amount of information. Lol at me saying this on a podcast where we talk just like we talk to each other on the phone. (laughs) Uh, But that's because that's the conceit of our podcast, Anne. Hello. I mean, we're geniuses for making that the conceit of our podcast. Yeah, no, we are geniuses. I mean, it's just not part of who I am. I think you would have to pay me a lot of money to be able to consistently have white journalism voice, (laughs) I guess. But there's something like also really sad about how um, it's so predictable and it is so racialized. Right. It's like when you start looking also at the ethos and the myth of NPR, the audience is like almost 90% white. The newsroom is like 77% white. That, you know, US population is somewhere around there too. Right. So it makes me sad, but it also makes sense. It's also hard to think about how to make a transition to where every different person featured on the radio speaks in a way that's wholly unique to them because you'd have to deprogram years and years of training for for everyone who is on staff or contributes. And I I think it's an interesting question to think about how you start to open this up because I don't have the answer. Yeah, you know, like, I I mean, I kind of hinted to this, too, with, like, code switching in French. The thing that's really fascinating to me is that this is the same criticism that I have of, like, say, BBC, but also a lot of, like, French radio that I listen to. 
um, is just how like very white it sounds. And then you start like benchmarking that against like audience numbers and whatever. And then, and now it starts to make sense why like shows like tell me more go off the air, even though they're excellent programming. It's because they just get siloed into like, here's what like people's expectations of what like diversity on the radio should be. Surprise! Surprise! (laughs) (laughs) It's almost like everything is the same. Uh, Maybe podcasts will change that, you know? Like maybe podcasts will change what like white public radio. I hope so. I mean, there are, for example, some of the very people we just name checked who are no longer on NPR, like Farai Chidea, who are doing podcasts. And obviously, one of our favorite podcasts the read is a perfect example of not giving a shit about decades of white people formal news radio i mean it's true (laughs) and then now i'm gonna do some like really depressing research on how most podcasts are also white (laughs) i know and mostly run by dudes and the ones that are funded are i just can't i can't Let's talk about our periods. Man, I am not on a period right now, so I'm very happy. Talk to oh me about God. periods. What's what's going on in the well, world of first periods? First of all, what's going on in the world of my uterus is definitely a period. And what's going on on the internet this week is I noticed a headline on Jezebel, which claimed to include the a video of the greatest, realist, grossest period joke of all time. So... Whoa, so I saw this headline also, and I think, like, somebody tweeted it at me, and then they told me exactly how long in the period joke was, and I'm like, listen, homie, I don't have, like, five minutes to give to this joke. So, can you explain the joke to me, at the risk of making it not funny, can you explain the joke Well, so I actually didn't think it was that funny, though I did appreciate it. I know, I know. Um, It was real, and it was gross, but I'm not sure it was the greatest. I, the greatest joke of all time about the female anatomy is Wanda Sykes' detachable pussy, and nothing can even come close. I mean, one, 100%, but there's no, like, you know, blood, right. so it doesn't fall in the Fair enough, blood. fair enough. Um, so I will say that the joke doesn't even begin until, like, four minutes in, and so we'll put... Yeah, as my Twitter followers so like, we'll put the, me We can of. put the, the actual minute-second thing in the link summary so none of our dear listeners have to wade through the whole thing. But I will say this. I should note that this is a Cameron Esposito joke. And it's about how dudes are always saying periods are gross, but they really have no idea just how intense and gross they are. And she gives a very real explanation of what it is to get your period, which is basically your body is pushing parts of your body outside of your body. <laughs> like, like chunk, <laughs> okay, chunks of your body funny. are coming out of your body, which is, I appreciate this insight and this framing of periods because pretty it makes, yes, it makes the like intensity of what should be mundane by this point make total sense. It's like, yes, this happens once a month for your entire, most of, you know, your life, all of your 20s, 30s, teens. Let's just start naming decades here. There's a lot of periods happening. <laughs> 40s, exactly. maybe 50s. And 
you don't really think about the fact that is like you are expelling parts of your body, which is why it's so intense. And, you know, she makes the point that like you could be in a meeting and you're just like, yep, just pushing out a chunk of my own body while I sit here and take notes about. Dude, don't you like feel that? That's always the worst when you're like just trying to live your life and you're very aware of your uterine lining, like being pushed out into your underwear. Yes. And she compares it to a strawberry, a conventional, non-organic, massive, like strawberry. (laughs) (laughs) So I have to say that like I wasn't doubled over my laptop laughing at this, but I very much appreciated the insight. Like, thank you for giving me new insight into this actually intense experience that should be mundane by now. My body is bleeding out of my body. My body is smashing my body out of my body using my body. My body is wringing itself out like a hotel washcloth. You might use again. But when it doesn't come out in, a, in an easy, clean, and poor substance so clear chunks of my body are coming out of my body chunks of my body are being smashed out of my body by my body sometimes the chunks are so large the only logical thing to do is to pick it up and hold it in your hand just so you can marvel at it And then I was kind of curious about, okay, is this really the greatest period joke of all time? I'm going to do some research. Just Google a few random female comedians and period or menstrual. (laughs) And I found a podcast interview with Chelsea Peretti. She sort of tells a period joke where she talks about measuring her life in periods. Like, oh, yeah, that was three periods ago that I got a dog or whatever, (laughs) which I was amused by. And, um, And then the podcast host was laughing, like was actually enjoying her joke. And she kind of cut in on herself and was like, hey, if there are any aspiring female comedians out there, just don't tell any period jokes. Just knock it off. Don't succumb to the temptation to write jokes about your period. And then I wept. (laughs) I mean, I just, I guess I've just never heard a period joke before. So I don't know like how pervasive they are. Um, that makes me sad. Maybe we should have a period joke contest on oh Call my Your God. Girlfriend. I want to hear the best period joke. There's some really good rape jokes out there, and that's, like, fairly taboo, but there's some, like, pretty fucking excellent ones. I mean, the ones. Broad City uh, recent reversed rapism joke. <laughs> totally. Tignataro. Yes. Um, yeah, Wanda Sykes yes. forever. Okay. Somebody write us Please. a good period joke. I want to hear a good period joke. all the joke. funny women you know to write a fantastic period. Like, I would like to, let's do like a special episode at some point that's just a strung together series of period jokes. <laughs> I mean, I thought that's what this was. I would say I it's more of point. a chunk in the middle of this episode. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, chunk of period. That's too real. Too real. Um. I mean, I don't know. I feel like we've talked about this enough. I feel that people tolerate our poop talk more than they tolerate our What do you mean, talk. tolerate? Yeah, like, people people don't like talking about periods. 
Maybe that's what Chelsea Peretti was hinting at. I mean, at. I guess. I, I, I couldn't really tell if her implication was it's too expected and therefore not funny, which I think is just wrong. I think you can still make funny jokes about expected topics. Or she's like, it's the third rail of I lady I couldn't tell if she meant like, that yeah, or if she... I mean, it wasn't really explained. She really just kind of dropped that and um, and went on to talk about something else. Have you watched her special you know, on Netflix? You told me to watch it ages ago delightful. and I still have not watched it. I confess. Yeah, it's like like delightfully mm. like great. I I went in with zero expectations and came out just being like I will give you my money next time I can. Like it's pretty Ugh. good. I it made me sad. That's all I have to say. I just don't like it when people tell women not to do something. <laughs> it's like the end of it. Yeah, yeah, don't tell me you're not the boss of me. Yeah. Right. No, okay. Great. Let's write some period jokes. What else am I reading about? Uh, this is a little bit old, but since it's award season, I feel like it's cool to talk about. Remember my whole rant on how much I hate award Do season? Do I ever? And, like, red carpets? There was this, like, delightful, art, like, tiny article in the, uh, in the New York Times about how uh, certain uh, actresses are <laughs> revolting and shunning the, uh, all of the garbage that they have to do on yes, the red carpet. Correct. Uh, it's great. Um, chief in all of this is Julianne Moore, who like refuses to do the manicam, you know, because she's like, hi, I'm a smart person. Stop talking to me about like goddamn nails. Here's the thing. I feel like I'm about to say something that's not nice and I don't like not being nice about other women, but I feel I feel like I just need to get this off of my chest. I'm here for you. Juliana Rancic, host of the E! Red Carpet. I want to like hold her. I want to like have a meeting. <laughs> And just say, Juliana, you are better than this. Because she is the number one perpetrator of red carpet garbage. It's her and then pretty much, like, everybody on E! So I can't be too mad at her because, you know, I, like, I get it. It's your job. It's how you pay for your baby's, like, clothes. Like, whatever. Everybody should make a living. But it really... It's any time I turn on a red carpet and she's on it, I'm 100% expect that she's going to say something Also, crazy. question. Isn't this why there is a Screen Actors Guild? Can can every woman in the Screen Actors Guild not band together and be like, fuck the cam or whatever, <laughs> opt out? Uh, and I have so many questions about why Hollywood people don't organize better. But, you know, I'm like, maybe that's what this is what I will consult for them for. It's just crazy. Why are you letting paparazzi take pictures of your kids? Why are you doing mannequins? Why are you letting them ask you about, like, outfits that you're wearing? Don't do it. It's really fascinating, especially this, specifically this award season where, like, during the Golden Globes, so many of the actresses called out the fantastic roles that there are for women in TV and film. Like, I think Maggie Gyllenhaal made a note to that in her speech. And so it's it's good to see that there, you know, like, from the inside, there's revolt happening. I just want to see it happen at a larger level. Because, you know, yeah, it's like these women, they work really hard and they are professionals, but nobody ever sees female actresses as professional as male actors. They're expected to be really chummy with the public and we should know the ins and out of their lives. And it's, it's so crazy when you think about like the talent and the actual like hard work that they do. You don't just have to do your job. You have to also be really good at putting on this public persona that is accessible, but also with 
that stands up to zoom in scrutiny whenever you are in public. And yeah, I just can't. All of this crap is the reason why people still ask Jennifer Aniston, like how she feels about Brad Pitt, even though that was like 10 years ago. It's like, actually, she's put out a really impressive body of work. Like, please ask her about that. Not about like somebody that she got divorced from a million years ago. Ugh. Right. Oh, man, I just had a thought, which is women on the red carpet are sometimes at that very moment pushing chunks out of their vaginas. I mean, probably. Ugh, can't, You're grossed can't. out by this observation, I can tell. <laughs> if I'm ever on a red carpet, Anne, you better believe I will talk about my period. Much, much like uh, the the tennis pro whose name escapes me now. I love the idea of being like, eh, you know, I'm not going to chat to E about my outfit today because I'm pretty bloated because I'm on my period. And so I'm not bringing my red carpet A game. Go to hell. I know. Um, During the, uh, what was it this weekend? The Grammys or something? Some like no name, like TV dum-dum was interviewing Taylor Swift on a red carpet. And uh, she said something like, you're probably going to be going home with a lot of men tonight. <laughs> and and Taylor Has Swift's face Taylor's was priceless. I will send you the gif of this. Taylor Swift, she's like, excuse me, my brand is lady friends right now. Right. And uh and she was like, I will be going home with no men tonight. She's like, I'm and going I was to like, Hawaii I cannot I was Hame. like she's like the number one selling artist in like the galaxy right now. Like really, this is what I just I wonder sometimes if those journalists, like these like lifestyle people, if they have like any shame. Like, if they're, like, ashamed and they just do it, or they, like, literally don't get it. And not even, not even, like, do they have shame? Do they have Instagram? Like, it, does she live in the same world that we live in? I just don't, ugh. I know, it's, like, it's so, it's so annoying. Well, ugh, somebody, somebody please do something about Wait, it. Wait, pause. Speaking of Taylor, major shine theory moment at the Grammys this year. Ugh, and I'm, like, probably gonna start crying. <sighs> Deep breath. I'm ready to talk about this. Okay. Tell us about the time when two of your favorite humans making music buried their truths. I mean... Wait, buried their truths. Call the truths. Buried the Call hatchet. the truths. Bur- <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait till I bury a truce with someone. Like, bitch, I'm coming for you again. <laughs> well, you know, um, the Grammys were this weekend... And my two favorites, Kanye West and Taylor Swift, you know, or water and oil, as they're commonly known in my heart, (laughs) um, took this, like, fantastic series of pictures together where they were high-fiving. When the Kanye-Taylor incident happened a couple of years ago at the VMAs, I was honestly devastated because... It's well documented on this podcast. I'm very unreasonable about my love for Kanye West. He's an asshole, but he's my asshole. Right. I love him and he can do he can do absolutely no wrong. You can go to pop culture therapy for that later. <laughs> I mean, I don't need to. I I think uh we can have a conversation about how it's also white privilege not to like Kanye West. Oh my um, god. I want to have that conversation. It's true. It's like like white artists are dicks all the time and somehow it's not a big deal. And then, you know, we get like one bad egg. I mean, we have a lot of bad eggs. <laughs> Just whatever. I'm not reasonable about Kanye and I'm not ready to be reasonable about him. But seeing those pictures with him and Taylor Swift this weekend and like the detente was like, that was very emotional for me. I like forgave two people on the spot that like I've been really upset at. Oh, I was so like, if healing. they can do it, like, you know, Israel and Palestine is basically a wrap. <laughs> um, 
Also, you know, that whole interaction probably facilitated by Jay-Z, who DJed Taylor Swift's birthday party. Because mm. I remember seeing the, like, Kanye, the um, the pictures of, like, Beyonce and Jay-Z at Taylor's house. And I was like, man, you know, like... How does Kanye to, feel you, about this? You go to Taylor Swift's birthday, but you didn't go to Kanye's wedding. Mm-hmm. You know, like, there is some baggage there. But I feel like everybody's grown up and everybody's okay with it. And Kanye is, like, now focused on Beck who, like, snatched Best Album from Beyoncé because white people are terrible. It's just, yeah, it's very emotional moment. I mean, I'm although I have to say, I was eyes half-covered waiting for the Beck iteration of the the Macklemore, like, sorry Instagram <laughs> post. Like, like, it was, like, Beck, Beck sending a twee carrier pigeon, I'm so sorry, to Beyonce, or, like, I don't even know, like, what sort of I mean, thing he would know. do. But I was kind of relieved that when the press asked him about it, he was like, yeah, Beyonce should have won, and that was the end of it. Obviously, people are unreasonable about award shows. It's not, like, the fucking public votes for Grammys. It's, like, some weird, opaque, like, voters. Like, it's just, it's dumb and weird. It's Again, Hollywood, if, get it together. It's almost as if awards don't matter, Anne. Yeah, I mean. <laughs> that was really funny. But there was this, like, great... I was uh, watching this, like, clip on TMZ. Like, people are ambushing Kanye at the airport. And they're just, like, you know, like, clarify Beck. And he was, like... He's, like, I listened to Beck, but he did not deserve that best album. And I was, like, preach, homie. This is the most aggressive Beck fans have ever been. Like, aren't they... <laughs> aren't they normally the meek and mild type? I know, but you know, this happens at every award season, right? Uh, races collide. <laughs> you realize that, like, Beck fans probably don't listen to Beyonce. I, I wouldn't say that I'm a Beck fan, but I'm very aware of his work. I really like that album. But, you know, Beyonce put in, like, the best work this year. But it's okay. It's almost as if awards don't matter. Like, who cares? I mean, Beck, but I love I... that this. But I love that this happens, like, every award show. Like, this time it was trending, like, who is Beck? Remember when Kanye had that song with uh, our homie Bonnie Vare? Yeah. And everybody was like, who is Bonnie Vare? And then who is Paul he also McCartney? just recently is he Beck? also recently just pulled Paul McCartney on the map and everybody's like, that Paul McCartney is gonna go really far. But it's and funny. you just so, realize that like, you know, music audience is a little segregated, but that's cool. Well, I was going to say that like, you know, you said something earlier about award shows being like when races collide, and I feel like it's actually you know, okay, so you gave all of your hip-hop awards off-camera or, like, in in the separate, like, weird annex broadcast. Yeah, none of the <laughs> and, R&B and rap awards are right, televised. Like, right, still, exactly. Even though that gets the major radio play in this country. Exactly. Like, in what world is that not... I don't know. I feel like there's not enough colliding. I, in, in the yeah. white man's world, Anne. Ugh. That's the world. <laughs> I mean... <laughs> The, the the white tiny alt country Scientology dominated world. That, I know the Grammys are back. the Grammys are really weird. All award shows are weird. I was really happy to see Little Sam Smith win everything though because you know how I love a striver, but also yeah, it's like some dude broke his heart and then now he has four Grammys. It's like please, I wish you had broken your heart even more. Although can we can we just say how some beloved teen on Tumblr juxtaposed the Twitter reaction when a few years ago Taylor Swift got up and accepted um, her bajillion Grammys and was like uh, the one for trouble, I think. And um, and was like, hey, thanks to the guy who broke my heart because now I have all these awards. And everyone was like, all the One Direction fans were like, screw you. Or whatever One Direction fans say when they're mad. 
And um, <laughs> and those fans are very violent. I know they are. Sorry, sorry for incurring their wrath. Yeah, but- please don't bring please don't bring like directioneers into our like. I am like I'm more afraid of one D fans than I am of like the Bayhive. Wow, big talk. I know. Can we talk about though how Kanye is like legit the CEO of the Bayhive? Like he's always standing up for Beyonce, even though she didn't go to his wedding. What's that about? I mean, he's on the right side of history. Yeah, he's, you know, I guess he just, like, really supports powerful artistry. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's what, I mean, that that has to be the answer. <laughs> I guess, I guess, I guess. Okay. <laughs> That's incredible. Um, I think it's, like, probably time for us to wrap up. Uh, I'm going to go see the Fifty Shades movie this weekend, so I will report back. I'm going to watch the Magic Mike XXL trailer on repeat for... Uh, you know, 92 minutes or however long the average movie length is. And I really want to give a shout out to whoever made that poster art. It's the first time I've seen a movie poster and I've generally been impressed by. Yep. Just the gleam on the, like, corner of the crotch is, like, fan- like fantastic. Shout out to Crotch Gleam. <laughs> I know. Maybe next time we can talk about um, why we like Channing Tatum so much oh and, like, how divisive that is. I would love to. I would I would love nothing more than to talk about Channing Tatum with you on this podcast. Love you, C-Tates. Oh, all right. Um, you can find us many places on the internet. You can find us on Twitter at callYRGF. You can um, find us on iTunes. Also, feel free to leave us a review if you are so inclined. Only a good and review. <laughs> only good reviews, please. Uh, no vocal fry talk. And <laughs> you can also email us at callyrgf at gmail.com. We love hearing from you. See you on the internet, boo. <laughs> See you on the internet and on callyourgirlfriend.com, the other thing you forgot to mention. Oh, yeah, duh. <laughs> um... <laughs> Somebody fix this. If you just take the wheel.